Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's September 28th. We got a really special guest. We have Matthew Land, who is from Marshland Capital. He's here today to talk about markets and what the heck is going on in the early stage space. So Matt, welcome. Great to have hey you. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So we were just talking, we were like literally before we went on the show, we were talking about FrenTech. And uh, I was saying that our previous guest that we had on Frentech, Dragos, has about 100 ETH in keys. And uh, you were asking me about strategies and stuff. And I, I mentioned that Unibot just launched their Frentech sniper today. I'm going to bring this up because I got the, the window here. And so uh, it allows you to user snipe. So you can set a list of usernames and snipe them when they create new keys. Uh, you can auto snipe based on minimum following re uh, requirements or follower settings. And uh, apparently they have uh, zero trading fees pretty cool yeah I, i'm gonna look into this because i was looking at different sniping bots and 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 stuff like that but you know i think that what we're seeing unraveling right now is is basically the the first major killer app that's going to be coming to to coinbase um seems like there's a lot of powerful people behind it uh it, there's just a ton of tvl going on the airdrop campaign is is quite robust um which we which we know a lot of users are are looking to kind of sink their teeth into um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on there running different, you know, queries right now to, to kind of see what different strategies are, are being ran. Um, I, I think that the bigger, uh, I think the bigger accounts that basically have like a large Twitter following, you know, these, these sniper bots are, are a little bit more of a crowded trade. Um, you can already see it kind of like when their accounts pop up. I think I saw Mario in the fall or whatever his name is, mm -hmm. uh, in the last week or so had registered for, for friend.tech. Uh, and you see just within the first two blocks, like within 30 seconds or so, uh, you see a significant uh, spike that's happening uh, in, in terms of just buy volume coming in. So so it's most likely, um, you know, a bunch of people using the, these sniper bots. I, I wonder, I don't know much about base on the MEV side. I wonder if there's very similar to like banana bot block zero type of stuff where, you know, they're kind of pulling together for, for bribes. I'm not sure if that happens on base. Uh, I know it would happen on on mainnet, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely early days. There's still five months to go for friend.tech. Uh, I think the the initial wave has kind of settled, uh, so there's definitely people coming in. But um, that that spike that we had maybe a week or two ago is, is is settling now. So now's a good time for people with size to to come into the ecosystem and and get exposure to what could be a a multi billion dollar industry. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the airdrop campaign. This is the second big like platform that we've seen where they've been shifting away just from like distributing tokens and moving towards a points-based system where mm. the the meta for the the points can change on like a week to week or like month to month basis. And so especially with Frentech, nobody really knows how the points are being distributed on the week and so there's always a lot of guessing on like how to position and the, the points do definitely change. So the developers are watching, and so they can adjust this like week to week. And this is like a big, vast difference from the plethora of 2022, 2021, and 2020 farming mm. and airdrop uh, strategies, where it was just like, oh, here's the token. It has fixed emissions, or we're going to do this with emissions. Everything's already known up front. Uh, good luck, and go have fun farming. Yeah, I think the... It, it, it's interesting because this might be one of the first airdrops where the points matter less 
than exposure to the ecosystem. Hmm. Um, you know, normally, normally people are just farming because the only exposure they can get is at the token level. Uh, I, I think that you have to you have to look at a, a number of different factors, especially in terms of growth. Right? We saw this happen with NFTs specifically. So with, with NFTs, like you look at board apes today. You know they're they're worth a lot of money. At at one point they weren't right. They're they were worth what you would subjectively think was expensive. So you know what what does this ecosystem mean from a floor perspective, uh, in in denominal Ethereum, uh, over time when the when the market stagnated. Like I, I want to be able to have my exposure for the next year or so. I may not want to have it for three years because the price of ETH is is going to go up you know, quite some, quite some percentage in my opinion, probably five to 10 X at least. Um, so, so I'm, I'm looking at it from that perspective, but you know, I want this ecosystem to flourish probably like shortly after post airdrop uh, or leading up to the end of the airdrop. Uh, I want to be able to have general exposure, both at the blue chip level, as well as the, the underlying growth level. Um, and I think that's, that's really unique for friend tech because it, it drives actual adoption of the platform uh, less less about the the points and, and the tokens. Those are just a bonus to me. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Actually, I I, I think you're the first person to say that that the the points in the airdrop are just a bonus, right? Uh, and that there's really going to be meaningful adoption uh, across the just kind of like base TVL, which we're seeing now. And we have a chart here up that shows that Frintech TVL is now at twenty five thousand ETH, which is above where Blur was when they launched their token, which is about twenty four thousand ETH. And obviously, we know where Blur went after that. Uh, mm. And Frentex seems to be right on track to, to potentially perform the same. Yeah, I think that um, I think it's definitely early days right now. And I think that uh, people should be getting as much exposure as possible. I, I'm, I am interested to see what these alternative ecosystems look like. I know that um, a couple analysts and friends of mine are, are very bullish on mantles. Uh, fan.tech um, they, they believe that that mantle could be the next bsc um you know stuff like that so at the end of the day people it's a very like segmented market you and i have um you and i have talked about that at length uh, sam and i think that people are, are looking for brand to kind of latch onto, and where, wherever those brands are strongest uh it has the highest chance of eyeballs in terms of getting exposure because remember if base ever comes out with a token uh, your activity here will will have a secondary bonus uh, to it as well. So you have to ask yourself, you know, which ecosystems are pre-token, uh, which ecosystems will have the biggest uh, biggest brands over the next five years. I think people are looking towards towards Mantle. Uh, Cosmos is 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 in the running as a legacy chain, in my opinion. Uh, I think Scroll is is a really big contender uh, when you start going down the list because they're they're very very popular in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, ZK Sync, I think, has a great development team on paper, but I think that that's going to be a little bit of a harder, uh, harder sell because um, it doesn't have the same driving points that uh, that base has per se. Yeah. Uh, but Z- ZK itself is a very complicated mm-hmm. technology versus Optimism Rollup uh, in, in terms of the, the cost, the trade-off cost. So I think that um, that those ZKs will will still have their light in the sun uh, for some time. Yeah, and. Base came, or at least Coinbase came out and said they're they're thinking about a token. I mean, it's potentially viable in the future. Mm. They can't rule it out entirely. I, obviously, this is a, a big shift in what they were saying from when they first launched Base, 
uh, which is like that they were never going to have a token. And and now they're kind of floating it. So it seems that like Frintech plus the base airdrop plus whatever they get through points could be the, the big driving uh, like force for essentially base over the next six months, right? Or even year. Pro yeah, it, it, it will probably be the biggest trade since GMX, oh, wow. in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, uh, probably bigger. Uh, do you think that like do you think that base is going to outstrip Arbitrum in terms of TVL over the next uh, six to twelve months? Uh, softly, yes. I mean, you know, gun to your head. Uh, I think that that base will outperform Arbitrum. Yes. Interesting. I think that I think that Arbitrum's governance is uh, you know there's a lot of complaints behind the scenes from uh, major protocols. I think that they're a little bit happier now at the second. Uh, like airdrop distribution, whatever they want to refer to it as, mm -hmm. is 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 coming out. Um, but I know that that there's been a lot of frustration there, and um, you know, like basically any any large protocol or or app, uh, when they get big enough, will leave anyway. Mm -hmm. um, not not entirely, but they'll try and move a significant user share and incentivize it over to their own chain. Um, we're already seeing that with a few protocols right now. So I, I think that, um, and I've been pushing Polygon for some time uh, in different conversations over the years uh, to push for a, a more exclusivity model. Uh, I, I, I know it goes against the ethos of the ecosystem, but I, I just think that it's the, it's kind of like the finite path that's going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you're looking, if you're looking to create killer apps, you need to get a thousand projects out there on your chain. A dozen of them will do medi you know, mediumly well. Uh, out of out of a few dozen, one will become a killer app. It's it's a numbers game. You have to be able to to push venture to be able to support that numbers game. Uh, and and once you have a few killer apps going on that ideally interact with each other, um, then then you see significant growth. Um, it's it, it, it's not as long as watching Ethereum's S curve. Um, it's also not as high upside because uh, you're at the but uh, you will it will be a quicker process. So I, I think that. You know, you're you're eventually going to see ecosystems that have the firepower and the leverage. Say, look, you know, you have to have X percent of volume, or X percent of marketing spend, or, or whatever the KPI may be, uh, on our chain for at least two years mm. um, to be able to have sustainability. Otherwise, I think, you know, projects will get too big too quickly and then leave because there's no incentive for them to stay there, uh, or they'll or they'll start shifting volume onto other airdrop chains and, and and that could be an issue too so yeah i think you're going to see a lot of you know acceleration or or eco funds move a lot differently with their capital deployment and resource support uh because i just don't think it's sustainable when you have like ten thousand l2s yeah but don't you have stickiness like you look at a you look at a brand like gmx where gmx is arbitrum's baby <laughs> right <laughs> Like, I don't think GMX could make the switch to Polygon or any of the other L2s because, one, they've already been forked to death uh, by a bunch of other competitors on these other chains. And two, it's like the brand, the brand is G, like the brand is Arbitrum, like GMX is Arbitrum, like if GMX left. I mean, that would be a huge hit to all the other protocols that are being mm -hmm. built on top of it. Uh, and so I do think that there is some stickiness for good or, for good or bad. Uh, when it comes to like protocol deployment, I, I think that um, the the brand recognition is associated with the with the more recent growth path this year. Mm -hmm. So you know we have to look at it in context. Uh, GMX was on Avalanche as well, uh, and and they didn't see any growth on Avalanche because of the Arbitrum airdrop. 
Uh, people were farming the average Amer drop and, and GMX was a working functional and, and damn good product. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where GMX decides to place his incentive mechanisms uh, could, could drive where that comes. Now, do I think GMX is going to leave Arbitrum to go launch on, on base or, or something like that? I mean, go ask sushi swap and, or Uniswap for that matter. They are now in, in multiple ecosystems. Uh, but if there is an airdrop opportunity similar to the one that we saw on Arbitrum and it's, and it's as clear I would have to assume that if if the option was given to them to trade on GMX on another platform, uh, it's it's just a no brainer. They would they would make that switch. Uh, and at the end of the day, like GMX is a brand. It doesn't necessarily have to be an Arbitrum brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as people trust the brand, then there's liquidity provisions for uh, larger stage capital to to make that switch. I, I don't see why they wouldn't if um, if the incentive was very similar to the one that uh, created the growth on Arbitrum. Yeah, so I wanted to bring up this chart. We talked about this chart yesterday uh, with with Dio. Uh, so this was research that was done by Ouroboros Capital. He published this uh, a couple of days back, but it really just shows the the rotation that happened. Uh, the red line is optimism and base TVL, and the blue mm. line is Arbitrum. And since uh, like mid July or like the beginning of August, there's been a clear rotation away from Arbitrum and into OP and base. Probably mostly base, I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah. Arbitrum has really suffered and they've kind of come down now. So if we look at that, that ratio, they're down almost 30 percent uh, over the last few months, which is which is a big hit. And and now they're spinning up their next season of Arbitrum grants, which uh, we had some, uh, I believe, 95 different protocols came out and have applied for mm-hmm. 50 million dollars worth of ARB. Uh, there's going to be two distributions. So there's probably 25 million dollar or 25 million R, which is going out in this first one, and maybe another 25 in the second uh, application mm-hmm. period. Um, well, let's let's. So the the chart doesn't tell the full story here, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you. Most of the volume is most likely on base. Uh, people are are trying to, you know, get exposure over there. They're they're not much getting. They're not getting much more from from Arbitrum today. But we we have to understand like the developer narrative right now, and I, and I talked about it briefly before. So. We were, I'm not going to say what the product was, but we were looking to build uh, a consumer application um, and we wanted to uh, create an L2 from it with a, with a co-partner. And we sat down with, um, with the CTO of a, a notable company that I won't say. And we kind of, we're, we were, he, he was the CTO, he's, he's now freelance. Uh, we were looking to kind of onboard him into a CTO role and, and having that discussion. And we said, look, um, we were thinking about having it be a, a ZK roll-up um, because that's just getting a lot more funding at the VC level. And he said, look, I'm going to be very honest with you. He said, when you're talking about the two options, uh, with optimism, it's basically a, a more uh, company-friendly uh, rollout that essentially just has monitoring mechanisms. And I'm, I'm, I'm trivializing this, uh, obviously. But you know, it has these monitoring systems. It's, it's very easy to spin up. Uh, think about it like, Pre-EVM, it would take me how long to create like a UTXO blockchain, right? Now anyone in, in a matter of seconds can basically boot up a, an ERC-20 contract and, and get the security of the underlying network. Like Optimism is is very similar in that on-ramping mechanism that it's much easier to roll out. Uh, but the trade-off is that you have to put up these safeguards and these, these, these monitoring systems. When you look at ZK, ZK is very finite. You don't have to worry about that execution, mm-hmm. but it's much more difficult to, uh, to build and roll out. And everything is kind of based on these recursive functions that are fairly complex. Now, he believes, and, and I don't disagree with him, that in the future, 
um, people are essentially going to index the chain and there may be some sort of ZK key or, or, or some mechanism that essentially says that, hey, if you want to go far back on your Explorer to look at your wallet, you're going to have to go pay $59.99 from some data center that's basically storing that. Um, so, so you're going to have that side of it. And then the Ethereum Foundation will make that ZK process more cost effective as well on the other side. So long term, ZK will be the answer. Today, I believe that ZK is not developer friendly. It's not consumer friendly. It's not application friendly. It's just very finite in terms of its, its mathematical precision. Um, so that's why op is winning the day today, because when you're looking at consumer adoption and you're looking at go to market strategy, optimism is the better trade off. And that's what we came to that our, our L2 that we were speaking about, about building was a very consumer based product. It was talking about going out after larger TAMs and onboarding those users onto the ecosystem. So we don't have time for the scale of ZK to really play itself out. It may be the future, but there's been a lot of maybes in tech. Right. So optimism is really leading that narrative at the at the company level, maybe even not at the developer level, because if you have to if, if you ask developers, they'll probably tell you ZK and Cosmos. Right. But at the at the company level, I think where the C-suites are making their decisions, they're saying, hey, this is the low friction path to market. This is the most cost effective path to market. And there's a lot more developers who are willing to be here right now than maybe on the ZK side that requires recursive uh, rec recursive development experience. So. Hmm. That's kind of the trade-off, and I don't think that's being reflected in the R versus uh, versus optimism because Arbitrum's not even in that conversation. It's just not. It's just mm -hmm. an ecosystem that has GMX. You know, not to not to dismiss them. We have a number of projects that are on Arbitrum, and and we support them, but it, that's not the conversation that's being had behind closed doors right now. I mean, so where does it? I mean, Arbitrum's really been pushing ahead. I mean, we talked about yesterday about how they're releasing Stylus, which is going to be adding uh, compiler support for Rust and a few other languages. And so it looks like they're working on Arbitrum Nitro to be able to be more developer friendly. Uh, but is it just that the, the OP stack is is just better for uh, like companies that want to spin up right now? Like we, we saw base yeah. chose OP. So, um, yeah. So so on so base obviously uh, at the application protocol layer uh, is the place to be right now just because of the branding. Uh, like I said, there's a big market segmentation, so more people are going to focus on that. They're kind of going to look at Arbitrum as a passing trend until there's some sort of uh, catalyst to, to bring those users back. But I'm more speaking about the future where there's like 10,000 L2s, right? Mm. It makes a lot more sense for you to go, like you to go out and launch an L2. That's where all the, you know, that's where all the money's going to be. If you look historically, uh, L1s uh, and, and some minor L2s made up a majority of the market capitalization. There may not be anything on those chains, you know, there's applications here and there. Most of them are centralized to Ethereum at this point. They clearly won a war. Um, but, you know, th there's going to be all these L2s in the future. It just makes a sense. Like, if you see mass adoption, one chain can't handle that. I even asked a developer that I was speaking to, like, I said, why can't I just have some sort of L1 that spits out L2s very, very similar to World of Warcraft, where I basically just cap the you know the, the the number of users on there so i never have to hit some sort of cost scale point uh, and i segregate them into different regions in north america or whatever like that's essentially what they did they said we don't have enough server power to be able to handle all these people on one server our game will crash it's 2005 i'm sitting here 20 years later asking if that's the scale solution he was like well it's kind of a dumb thing and i said well what's the answer he's like i don't have one i said okay so you're the idiot <laughs> right. You know, joking with him, obviously, we we're having a beer at the time. But the, the point is, is, is that, you know, you're going to have this, you're going to have continued market segmentation, 
less interoperability until solutions, I don't know if it's CCIP, I don't know what it is, you know, solve that issue, which it will eventually be solved in some sort of way if it's not already solved uh, at this point with some of these cross-chain solutions right now. Uh, but you're just going to have all these different L2s. So, you know, is, is and I'm talking broader than the application and, and protocol layer. I'm saying, you know, optimism is a chain for you to, is very similar to Ethereum, to be able to take this tech stack and roll it out, right, and have these options for, for L2 deployment. Arbitrum is not today. Hmm. You know, Arbitrum is a ecosystem where they're building in this ecosystem that is not focusing on any sort of scalability solution in a robust way that optimism is and i'm saying that that's the conversation that's happening uh with different companies because they're saying hey you know am i going to build a protocol or am i going to build an ecosystem right and the ones who are building an ecosystem are saying well arbitrum's the answer today right but they're uh, not arbitrum optimism sorry optimism's the answer today yeah and that's what we really see i mean arbitrum has like their one network right and it dominates market share uh, but then if you look at like optimistic's deployments i mean they have op base and then several others as well too you talked about uh mantle as well uh so i mean there are a bunch of other uh, competitors and maybe this market share just gets distributed across all of these l2s right instead of concentrating in like a few like just big ones uh we get much more wider dispersal yeah i mean look at dydx there at, at number five i mean that that says it all right mm -hmm. that, early as well too and, and dydx is doing what i saw antonio tweet yesterday that they're doing like 60 to 70 percent of all the dex per volume uh, right now yep yeah. yeah i mean and it's uh i don't i think i sent you that article uh a long time ago but it basically said that it's way better just to build on an l2 right now until you have enough users to just to just pivot mm. you know and 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 uh and, and you don't really take on much uh like technical debt from being on on mainnet because there's very there, there's much less there's much less there's much less disruptions on l2s than there would be at like an l1 level so coming back to the Arbitrum grant, I mean, they're moving into season two. Uh, here's a, a nice list of, of all the protocols that have asked for incentives. GMX topping the list with a request for 14 million ARB. MUX after that, then Gains and Lido, uh, and a mm. whole host of other projects that we see coming down here. Curve notably asking for 1.6 million ARB. Uh, so like, is this, when we go back to the chart that we were looking at before, is this really going to drive enough TVL back to kind of, uh, to, to, essentially like spur uh development and in and growth on arbitrum again to the scale that you're talking about or is it just that mm -hmm. those problems that that we were just discussing now about uh not being able to essentially replicate the stack over and over on the consumer level is, mm -hmm. is that going to be a big uh like hang up for arbitrum in in this next two quarters um Probably will fall on deaf ears, but I don't think that Arbitrum should be giving grants away to any protocol that's existing in multiple ecosystems, that's especially really these, yeah. these these massive projects like Lido and Ave, uh, and you know the, the list the list goes down. They should really be rewarding loyal programs who are building and centralizing their volume mm -hmm. on Arbitrum. Uh, you know, Camelot is a, is a big one. Jones Dow is on there. Yeah, you know these are these are these are loyal. Uh, loyal protocols that that are building a majority in in the Arbitrum ecosystem, at least uh, during the snapshot period, and they should be having conversations with those protocols uh, to to discuss how they can be incentivizing users staying on chain. Because you showed the chart right before this 
uh, where where you're looking at users leaving and rotating, etc. Um, punish those users who are rotating out, right? And reward the users who are staying. It, I mean, look, this is an, this is incentive mechanisms. You can't yeah. print forever, right? You have to you have to be able to maintain user flow. Uh, I would actually probably do a, a, a more of a stimulus uh, to to smaller protocols uh, to be able to get adoption into those protocols so that you can build uh, a stronger base. I would be taking a good chunk of these incentives and giving them to perhaps uh, builders who aren't out yet and, and say that, you know, we want to have some sort of incentive system to grow user adoption into your protocols. The, the last thing I would be doing is giving Lido, who has like 33% of Ethereum centralization, uh, uh, a, a grant. You know, if you're big enough. If you value the users here, you'll build here. Yeah. And that's what we saw with Sushi. Like Sushi didn't go chase some some grant. They just knew that this place was going to blow up. So they were like, cool. I'm going to come over and, and get exposure to the users. They already have their incentive to be here. They have a huge brand. You know, they, they have all these users. Like, people need to swap. People need to lend. People, I don't know. I don't know what the hell is going on with Lido on, on Arbitrum. It's kind of a joke. But, you know. Yeah, they say they want to improve Rapsteth liquidity uh, sure. on, on, the, on the DEXs. What about, like, GMX sitting at the top with 14 million ARB? I mean, they're... GLP yields have decreased quite a bit. I think you're looking at like 3.2% for GLP yields right now, uh, which is sitting like well under the like five five and a half percent that you can get in in short term T bills. So uh, this this 14 million could bring back uh, like a lot of users in TVL, but who's going to actually be trading in this like low volatility environment? I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I would I would much rather like uh, you know projects that are building on top of GMX that we saw Umami down here, which is requesting a uh, a million ARB, uh, friend of the show, Windmoon, who was just on the other day. Uh, and then there's some other ones as well, too, like Silo and Dolomite, a bunch of other people who... Uh, no, I know the Dolomite team, they're awesome. Yeah, uh, we just had them on the other day. And so there's, there's you know, Dopex as well, too. So there's all these projects that are building, like you said, uh, that are like Arbitrum only, uh, mm. or primarily Arbitrum. And, and, you know, this capital, we know this capital is mercenary, especially when it comes to these incentives. And so... It, it probably would, you're right, it probably would behoove the Arbitrum Foundation or at least the, the DAO or whatever it is to, to use this in a way to corral projects in for a lockup, right? Like six months, 12 months, like just say, hey, we're going to give you the money, but you got to stay and you got to attract users here instead of just giving it away and then, you know, letting the, the farmers move on to the next mercenary incentive that they can find. Yeah, I mean, or even go after protocols that are large on Ethereum but haven't ported over uh to arbitrum like any mm -hmm. anything to really build growth like I, I just don't see the net value of the growth happening uh the the other way around i mean at least with with gmx you know you have to keep them sweet uh because they're a lion's share of your volume right now but you know every conversation is critically important for them at this stage because you know most people don't seem to set a fire alarm off until there's an actual fire yeah. Right. So it's it, you have to be proactive about this stuff and you really have to leverage what you have, which is essentially user volume and, and tokens. Hmm. Um, but you can't you, you can't keep doing that either. You have to start building you know, cool stuff like one thing I'll, I'll actually point out really quick is we have a few chain link projects. One of the cool things that Chainlink is doing right now, they have a builder program. There's 77 projects in the builder program. They are taking a portion of link and deploying it into the top projects in that. You know, Arbitrum should be doing the same. They should have an ecosystem fund 
Uh, they should be looking for the the new best and brightest, and they should have, be having conversations about how they're going to deploy that arbitrum and, and how it's going to be used through a lockup system and how it's going to benefit the ecosystem if it's not already being done. Yeah, so uh, speaking of Chainlink, they actually just launched their CCIP on base uh, just yesterday. So that was announced uh, through uh, their Twitter and uh, the CCIP is essentially going to help base developers build cross-chain applications and services across different multiple networks. Are you are you pretty excited about CCIP and when the effect that it's going to have on this uh, kind of like cross-chain environment? Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about CCIP. Uh, one of our partners is actually going to SmartCon in Barcelona, I believe, next week. Mm -hmm. um, so we're we're very close with with Chainlink. Uh, never had a hack up until this point, so you have to give them at least some flowers on that. Uh, I think the team is, is highly professional, very smart, uh, you know, can, can execute at a very high level, and I'm excited to see uh, CCIP roll out. Um, I'm not as bullish on Layer 0. Um, not going to go into the personal side of that. Uh, I have a number of reasons why that's the case. Uh, but I think that they'll still continue to, to gain some market share. But going up against a juggernaut like uh, like Chainlink is a is a very tall uh, tall task. Um, I think that some people who are more developer focused uh, they they talk to me about IBC. They think mm -hmm. that that's a, a viable solution. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know as much about it uh, outside of what's been uh, what's been told to me. But you know, I'll continue to stick with with Chainlink as a brand until. Uh, such time that that becomes more viable. Yeah, and Chainlink's been doing pretty well. I mean, look at the performance uh, over this past quarter when everything's kind of been either flat or in the gutter. Uh, they've been doing all right. And, you know, it kind of like ties in with the, the broader narratives of like who's actually using the product. Chainlink has always been having some of the best business development across the entire crypto space. And uh, if you look at like them, plus Maker and Frax, who are all kind of on the way to having positive cash flow come through the protocols. Those are the tokens that have really been uh, performing this this quarter. Well, everything that is quite speculative or doesn't have product market fit has, has been suffering. Look, Chainlink is net bullish on uh, its ecosystem growth. So, you know, when, when there's demand uh, in the market generally and Oracle uh, solution providers, are required uh, at, a, at a larger growth period. Specifically, we can just say when Ethereum's price is going up, um, it, it, it carries that that same value. So if we look at Ethereum token, or sorry, if we look at Chainlink token from a utility perspective, it, it uses a very similar POS model where there's a staking mechanism and then there's a slashing component. So you're redistributing cost uh, through incentive, right? And as more people decide to adopt the product, which we know it's one of the few mainstream adopted products in in the ethereum and, and crypto ecosystem uh we we know that when that expansion happens more people have to buy chain link and it's just a supply and demand function the only difference between something like an ethereum and uh, and a chain link is because chain link can't afford to uh charge fees essentially they they, they have a certain type of bribe or not, maybe not a bribe but like a developer incentive program but they're not charging like api call fees or, or stuff like that uh, like you like you may see in, in a more traditional product the reason for this is because they, they live within ecosystems they are not the ecosystems themselves at least not yet i'm sure some l2 will pop up eventually mm -hmm. right everyone everyone else is doing it but the, the point is is like you have all these other competitors who aren't going to charge like per data right so it's just going to be a, a, at the staking level 
and it, it won't really scale past that. So that supply and demand will continue to um, present itself. Uh, and therefore, as long as Ethereum's market capitalization keeps growing uh, every five years, um, so, so will Chainlink or any ecosystem that they decide to be uh, a part of. That's really interesting. I, I wonder if there's any uh, competition that's going to be coming from restaking with uh, Celestia and Eigenlayer coming. Uh, you know, one of the big applications that I know the Sharam has talked about is that, oh, hey, you could launch an Oracle on, on Eigenlayer and just, you know, use the restaked ETH to then provide the Oracle services or the security for the Oracle services. Uh, I, I think maybe there's something there, but at this point, I think Chainlink's so dominant and it's just, it has, if, if you're deploying anything in DeFi, you have to use Chainlink. It's just from mm -hmm. a security perspective, people just won't use anything else. I, I know there's other Oracle services that can be used, but you just don't see them. And if you want to go to Aave, if you want to go to any of the incumbents to have your, your token listed or uh, be integrated with any money markets, uh, which is which is kind of like the, the 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 kind of like final integration, right? To get to these big incumbents, you have to be using Chainlink. There is no alternative, and so I I, I don't know how you like demonopolize them when when they have like total ecosystem control. You know what's really um, <clears throat> what's really great about Chainlink is their BD team. At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never felt that Chainlink was never too busy for me, right? <laughs> Any Anytime I have a project that I need support with at an Oracle level, uh, anytime I have any, like, dumb questions or whatever, you know, Oliver or other team members, Rory, etc., you know, the, the, these are the guys at, like, Chainlink Labs, right? You know, they, they've never not had a, a second to answer. They answer within mm -hmm. a day, very professional, you know, no question is too small, no, no intro is not worth their time. And I think that that speaks a large amount of volume because, and I'm not going to name the names, but there's a, a large number of companies who don't have that approach uh, and they suffer because of it. So, you know, when, when you have the generals in the field or when you have the advisors in the field and, and the people who really move the underlying uh, network, right, the, the, the new projects that are coming to market, et cetera, you know, that's your, that's your, that's your first point of adoption right there. So if the if the people who are out there who are, you know, advising, managing, speaking with those companies, guiding them in the right direction, if every single one of them is it has a great relationship with Chainlink, and uh, and they're talking as soon as the company starts talking about Oracle solutions, et cetera, it's like oh I actually have a contact there at that company. Let me make an introduction to you, and they they move it through that BD pipeline very efficiently with care, right? There's very few companies in this space that do that. I could probably count them on like one or two hands. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's very well known. It's very well known in the space. Like, who has a good B team, BD team, and who doesn't? It, it because it's just obvious. Like it, it like it speaks for itself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But yeah. but that, you can't you can't unearth that, right? And and I think that's that's like one thing that really pisses me off about this space is that there's a lot of amazing developers, but those developers' shortcomings on the BD front are, are very apparent. And it, it's something that persists through many different protocols and many different applications, right? Um, you, you, can, you can build the next big thing. The next big thing doesn't guarantee adoption, right? Apple doesn't create uh, innovative products. They repackage products into innovative solutions, mm -hmm. right? 
so you know it's 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 just something that I just don't think will be unearthed unless some major player comes along uh, and 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 has that that type of infrastructure. But again, that infrastructure got built over six years, right? Chainlink came out in 2017, if I recall, around August uh, or maybe July. Um, you know, so it's been six years in the making, and like you said, everything's about security in in this market. Auditors suck, though. That's getting a lot better more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the only the only proof you have something is is battle tested is is the is the sense that it's been around for a long time and there's not many changes that are going to happen to it, right? Versus like the risk. Yeah, definitely. So, like when we're looking at the next few quarters, I mean, we keep talking about adoption and you know growth and stuff. Like, what are those sectors that you're looking at? Is it is it on the consumer side or is it like infra and middleware that everybody's been talking about? Uh, I know gaming's always like a hot topic as well, too. Yeah, so there's a couple of different directions that you can kind of take this into. Like my my short answer that I that I joke with people right now is uh, is basically bots, uh, RWA, and then um, you know there, there's like another one out there. But you know, right now the space is in, is very much in like a Web two type of mentality. Uh, Founders that are in the pre-seed can only raise about 500k from select angels. They have to knock on like every single door. Um, they're just not going to get the the same faith that they might have had back in 2021, 2020. Uh, not surprising that this this is, this happens more often than you would think in during these during these bear markets, right? But they're they're having problems getting into the growth phase. So it's better for them to just focus on a very minimal vi- minimal viable product, work with their core user set. And then expand on that functionality, find some sort of PMF, get uh, get big leads to come in on a, on a bigger round. So the the growth is, is becoming longer. Um, the regulatory side of things is not helping. So we we've seen a large amount of funds who are primarily deploying in DeFi over the last three years have pretty much just exited those markets. We've seen a number of DeFi liquidity providers have exited those markets due to regulatory constraints. Uh, a lot of them out of Chicago specifically, um, you know, won't, won't say any of their names, but, you know, we, we've just seen a mass exodus on DeFi, which is really unfortunate because that was supposed to be the solution. Uh, and not only is there regulatory issues, but there's also uh, smart contract issues. Um, zero Day recently in Curve. Uh, I even likened that Zero Day attack to, to the, the watershed moment that basically said that DeFi in its current form was dead. Um, and I'm not sure how you solve that issue. Uh, I think that a lot of those DeFi players are moving to infra. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of mischaracterization, mischaracterization on, on that side as well. Um, MEV and LSD are obviously the biggest right now uh, in, in, in terms of adoption. That's, that's more of an infra thing. Um, RWAs are seeing massive growth on chain. Uh, I put out a tweet the other day that basically said that soulbound tokens were a Trojan horse built by Vitalik. Uh, it's 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 tongue in cheek, but it's absolutely true. I had a I had a uh, it was a product uh, Argentinian hedge fund based out of Boston, and they had built a product where you could trade stocks on chain uh, only with KYC wallets through Soulbound tokens, and they basically were able to use Uniswap as the intermediary mechanism, uh, and Uniswap was uh, subvertly supporting that soulbound mechanism. So basically a message would come up that says you, you're not allowed to trade if you didn't have the soulbound token in that pool. So what does that mean? What that means today 
say is that we are unaware that that Uniswap is enforcing KYC under our nose today because that base minimal product is basically the framework of how centralized entities are going to have their collateral on-chain to be traded in centralized KYC markets. And that's done through a push that the Ethereum Foundation fully supported, right? So that's an issue. And tied in with, and and tied in is, with Coinbase wanting to implement, like, to be able to take its, like, KYC infrastructure that it has on the exchange and essentially port it into base to say, like, here we have these permission environments where essentially we can drop a token that, that represents what your KYC status is. And then that, yeah. 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 Mike is a huge problem in Europe. Uh, it's only going to bleed into worse markets like the U S and, and the UK. Um, it, it's, it's, it's what the future looks like. So if you're trying to be net bullish on something, go be net bullish on RWAs because that's where a majority of things are going to, going to unfortunately flow. If, if you're willing to cross that ethical line, uh, the you know the the big thing with with that front is that you have all the actual value off chain. So if there was some sort of compromise of a contract in these KYC markets, you'd be able to shut it down fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 the value that you're losing is just a marker, which is fairly meaningless. Exactly, you could just roll it back and take it a step further. Uh, I believe the UN and the EU, and this is something that we're dealing with right now. Uh, we're building uh, or we're supporting building uh, an L1 as an L2 component uh, that that focuses in the ESG and, and kind of removing um, removing greenwashing and stuff like that. Uh, they want to be able to have this L2 layer because those um, those government bodies or those those regulatory bodies or whatever they require. I think in their mandates that you need to you need to be able to roll back the chain. So you are going to see. Um, you are going to see L2 sandboxes that allow for rollbacks uh, that keep the data, I think, at the main chain level. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be facilitated. They're, they're building a version of that. Um, but these governments want segregated, uh, you know, segregated sandboxes, which makes sense because, you know, you have governments all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's going to be open source and then there's going to be, you know, gated. Like, look at PokerStars, for example. I know it's a very, like, small example but in poker you have poker stars international which most people can can access and then you have poker stars italy you have poker stars france these are these are gated uh entities it already works on the world wide web and, and web 2 so why wouldn't we see those tropes persist themselves in, into web 3 regardless of how much we're you know ethically or, or politically against uh those those ideals um and we're and i always said that i would i would expect to see some sort of uh, regulated regulated version of Ethereum. I just thought it would be forked. I didn't think that <laughs> we would have this Trojan horse come through the door, you know, while we're all sitting here trying to look for the next DGen bot play. Um, but look, at the end of the day, look for look for fields and projects that are creating real revenue, that are creating real uh, real customer acquisition. You know, at the end of the day, Unibot is creating a five percent uh, you know tax on on buy and swaps. It's creating a better user experience for people uh, in the palm of their hands. Um, so people can call it a Ponzi all they want. It's it's more of the first of many uh, consumer-facing applications, and there's a reason why Ton Blockchain uh, went to the top ten recently. It's because they have a large set of users that exceed crypto, um, and any field that's looking towards larger TAM uh, to to exceed past the current hundred thousand DGens uh, that people are competing over three to six percent will do very well. That includes gaming, 
Uh, gaming is is double A AA and triple A titles or founders that have had multiple successful exits. Those are the ones that are going to be able to go and build the next big worlds uh, that are going to push NFT trading and, and different application mm-hmm. use cases on chain. Um, they'll, they'll have their own ecosystems. Uh, that was actually the whole World of Warcraft thing I was talking about. I asked a guy, I said, what happens with Square Enix wants to launch you know, all these users into your ecosystem, like, what are you going to do about that? They're going to do the same thing they did for, for WoW or the same thing they did for Final Fantasy. They're just going to have different, you know, almost like DSL, dedicated lines that are these, that are these L2s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been something I've been speaking about for years, and I, I don't see any other solution besides just capping how many people can be in a specific ecosystem and, and what that cap looks like. Yeah, you talk about the regulatory aspects a lot. Gaming sits at this place where, Potentially, it could escape a lot of these pressures, right? Like if it just if it just integrates a stablecoin where you're buying and selling NFTs with it uh, in their like L2 systems, uh, maybe they don't even have ETH or anything else. They just they just have stablecoins. Uh, I mean, that mm-hmm. seems like it it would be a lot less of a of an issue when dealing with something like EFI, like DeFi, which is you know has all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of regulatory uh, hangups that would need to be solved. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know a congressman asked a question to Gary Gensler yesterday that I had been asking for probably two or three years, which is um, you know do you think Pokemon cards are a security? Uh, it, 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 he said no. He said do you think digi- digital Pokemon cards? Our security, he said. He said, "I don't know, right?" So it, it really all comes down to the Howey test. There's, there's four. I mean, G- G- Gensler's not wrong. I think it was kind of like tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Comes down to the Howey test. There's four prongs of it. He just needs to start actually believing that because clearly, you know, he he tries to bend the Howey test. The, that's the weaponization that's happening at the SEC. It's basically taking case law that is predicated around Howey and trying to twist it into a way that they can seem tough on digital assets post FTX, extend the Biden Warren agenda and essentially make money for the agency, which is severely hurting uh, due to quote unquote, lack of lack of funding. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that that's their agenda at the SEC. Uh, it, when you have a more neutral chairman that comes in or a more slightly pro tech, uh, chairman who who who's going to come in maybe in the next administration, um, you'll you'll see the Howey test enforced uh, more neutrally or 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 slightly beneficial. Uh, you know, regulatory powers tend to have the, the ebbs and swings, but you know when you have the answer to digital Pokemon cards, and by the way, people are ripping quote unquote ripping packs right now. <laughs> we're we're accelerating a company called Colony that's um, that's going to be getting into the physicals uh, space, which I'm which I'm very bullish on. Uh, and, and I know they're speaking with like, you know, some of the big agencies that, that handle custodianship. Um, that's going to be a big question for them as well, because what is what is the investment contract that's separate from a real world asset versus a digital uh, derivative? Now, does it need to be monitored by the CFTC? Most likely um, in, in some capacity. Really? But like if it's digital uh, Pokemon cards? Yeah, I think so, because because it, it's a derivative of of it, like I, I view it as a, as it could be a derivative. I'm not a legal expert, please, uh, everyone out there, but um, but I think there could be uh, some CFTC impl- implications uh, when you're when you're reaching that many uh, that many individuals with a digital uh, product that's tied to a physical product. See, I think I think um, this is where I mean this is what we posted yesterday. This like crypto scam, I think it's supreme risk, right? Uh, we posted this yesterday. This is by Todd Phillips from Georgia State University, essentially saying that the, the, the broad and wide scale enforcement actions 
it's or at least you know uh gary gensler was saying like everything's a security sec has has purview over all tokens is mm-hmm. is dangerous uh especially as you know as a crypto skeptic himself he's saying it's very dangerous because uh with congress being gridlocked and probably not going to be able to push out any sort of like meaningful legislation uh, until mm-hmm. the 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 next administrative cycle uh, this means that there could be cases that make it all the way to the Supreme Court. And if something goes to, to test Howie at the Supreme Court right now, if you look at the, the voting record of the, the, the majority of the justices, which do lean conservative, uh, they've, they've taken up this kind of like major questions doctrine, which really is, is all about limiting, limiting the administrative power of uh, like the SEC or the CTFC. And so it could come that like these people come and say, oh, hey, like, look, we have digital Pokemon cards. The SEC is calling them securities. The uh, CTFC is calling them commodities and they have to go into this whole market structure. But they're just a legal contract that allows us to, to, to take a Pokemon card and turn it to a digital form. This shouldn't this is a collectible. It's not it shouldn't have these like market structure rules. And if it went to the Supreme Court, that could potentially set precedent for the entire space that that these skeptics don't want and so i think there is going to be potential well, and this just came out so maybe there's pushback coming against uh gensler's current battle against crypto i i think that i think that if anything goes to the supreme court it will be very bullish for crypto mm-hmm. um l- like you said they they have been gutting bureaucratic agencies left and right uh, it's, it's, it's the only net, I mean, if you're, if you're someone who's on the other side of the social issues, it's probably the only net benefit of, of this court from your perspective. Um, if you're a conservative, then you're probably just cheering on all the anti-abortion legislations that's been coming, uh, out of the Supreme court, but, you know, to, to keep it on the, the crypto path line, uh, I think it would be very, very bullish for Coinbase or Ripple or anyone, uh, to bring their Pokemon is included, uh, to, to bring their case, um, to the Supreme Court today, and I think it would be very bad for for Gensler. But it's all a matter of like how long that even takes mm-hmm. uh, to to happen. It could be could be a few years. Uh, it will eventually be taken up because there's just too many uh, too many cases, too much abuse uh, that's that's happening. Um, so so I think that would be I think that would be net bullish. Um, I think that you know going back to the Pokemon stuff, there are a lot of physical items that trade in a digital format. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is easier to regulate digital trading than it is to regulate spot trading. Um, and even then, the spot trading will, could still have, um, you know, rules set by the the CFTC and other other agencies. Um, so I think a lot of the time, like the rule of thumb that I use is that if a market capitalization is big enough, it will typically become regulated because there's typically some sort of abuse, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't believe that the market capitalization of Pokemon cards is big enough, but the conglomerate of digital collectibles could be, right? So I think that if you started to implement a digital trading uh, happening at mass scale that captured the lion's share of that market market capitalization, I would assume some regulatory agency would probably try and come along and and cast purview over it. It would make more sense to this to CFTC because we already see that happen with with other items. Yeah, and um, if anybody doesn't believe what Matt's saying, man, look, look, we have uh, President Biden here essentially saying concert tickets are hard to get. You shouldn't have to pay surprise service fees on top of that. My administration is working to crack down on those junk fees so you know what you're paying up front. Really, it's it's the same thing, right? Like they would just apply this to whatever Pokemon market or NFT market there is and say the fees are too mm-hmm. high. 
there's not enough disclosures. You know, we're going to come in and try to regulate this to, to death. Yeah, funny enough, I actually had uh, two family members fight in the bar during the Eagles game over Biden's crackdown of uh, of the, with the IRS uh, for Taylor Swift tickets or something like that. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it was it a ridiculous Taylor thing Swift, I've ever yeah. seen two grown men fight about. Yeah, yeah, the, there some guy was like scalping Taylor Swift tickets. There was some taxable event. He never paid it. Some IRS agent showed up to their oh, wow. door. Yeah, it was it was pretty heavy, but you know that's the America we live in today. I mean, those Taylor Swift tickets were—I mean, it's essentially NFT trading, right? They're selling for tens of thousands of dollars, and there's really good liquidity on it. Yeah, I mean, they—you know—what uh, was it, uh, Avant, Avant, or something like that? Mm -hmm. There was some project that I that I invested into in 2017 that was uh, a ticketing platform on Ethereum. Uh, you know, there. How many people do you know when you were a kid? that would take their concert tickets and tape them to their wall in the room and be like, Oh, these are all the festivals I've gone to, or these are all the concerts. I do all the bands I've seen. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or they'll get tickets signed and stuff like that. Like those are, those are collectibles. They fall under a, under a broader collection that could at some point be under a purview of someone in the future, especially when they start trading at a secondary market. Now I'm one who actually believe that those concert tickets would be fairly useless outside of like, I saw the who in 1974 or I was at Woodstock in 68, you know, uh, it could take some time just like many collectibles, but I think the majority of them are, are not going to be worth the, um, the, the price that they were printed out at given that inflation is rising year over year. Yeah. And it, I mean, what you're talking about there about everything being regulated, it does tie in with what the sec is, is trying to do in like the non-crypto sense, essentially putting these rules on, on brokers that they have to collect and, uh, send all information about every single trade, whether it was placed or canceled or not filled or wh whatever it was, all that information has to be packaged up and then sent off to the SEC where they will manage that and then distribute it out to about 3,000 different third-party uh, independent like companies or wh whatever you want to call it, uh, essentially setting up that like a mass surveillance regime of the entire uh, securities industry. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, they were fairly clear uh, in their previous ETF denials that they do not believe that the spot market is distributed enough or or monitored enough. And when you look at spot markets, a majority of that is made up by Binance, who is now being mm -hmm. accused of supporting, you know, Russian uh, Russian war criminals and and, and all Iran sorts as well of too, yeah. Iran, uh, you know the different terrorist organizations there it's it's quite crazy to hear and see all those stories and the doj has been speculated to be building a case uh for for some time so you know for from their perspective it's like look we are not going to open this market and i'm trying to be as fair as possible mm -hmm. as i can to them right now because i really hate the sec but from from their perspective it's like this market cannot be exposed to broader retail through uh traditional financial instruments until uh, there are appropriate safeguards. So they're trying all these different mechanisms to rein in those safeguards, uh, as well as structure the market for their big friends to come in and, and own a significant portion of it. Um, so a lot of that goes down to monitoring surveillance, KYC. You know, this this industry, sadly enough, as it is from an ethical perspective, uh, this industry is dead on arrival until they know uh, you know, whenever someone does a transaction more than five or ten thousand dollars, exactly who that person was and exactly who that person went to. You know, governments and regulatory bodies are, you know, notoriously known 
to take old frameworks and slap a new sticker on a new on a new product. Mm-hmm. So they want to they want to take all the banking control that they have right now. They want to apply it to everything that happens on on digital assets. And I think the sad part is is that they will succeed. We are we we do not have what it takes to to beat them. Well, or it'll go to the courts and will have to be decided there. So I mean, I think that's where a lot of this ends up ultimately. Is that sure? Uh, you know, the, the, you're going to see a lot of agency uh, like rulemaking, but it's going to have to go to the courts, and that takes a long time. And who knows how the courts are going to be positioned at the time? What who, what sort of administration there is? So it just puts puts a lot of questions on how the DeFi markets are going to play out over the next several years. One thing that I, I wanted to end up on, and you mentioned this uh, just a little while ago, is on Telegram. So there was a great article by uh, or post by Joel John that came out yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but he was essentially mm-hmm. talking about how uh, Telegram is really positioning itself as being the go-to like crypto super app of the future. Mm. And they're, they're trying to build this, or at least they, they seem to be set up to build this massive stack of, of just being able to do everything, right? With, they already have 800 million users. Uh, they already have issued their own token. They're like full bent on on heading towards. Uh, if you take a look at like channel now, so ours like Leviathan News or or friend of the show's officer CIA's. I think we're getting some some internet droppage. Sam, I think we lost you. I think you're walking just a bit too fast, or maybe your uh, treadmill's a bit too slow to power you. So tough to say. Uh-oh. Sam, you still there? Uh oh. I think Uh-oh. we might have lost Sam. All I'm hearing is uh oh. He's, he's back walking. Again. Okay, hey, okay, <laughs> I, I, I cut out for a second. <laughs> No, good. I think you were talking about Telegram's rise to the ne- to the next big super app. Yeah, what I was saying is that like Telegram seems really poised to take advantage of what they're building. I mean, they have 800 million users, huge user base, and they have all of these people just creating crypto content inside of it. Uh, like you know, uh, all the news channels like us, with blockchain, who are distributing news. Uh, you have people who are who are monitoring stuff like uh, Officer CIA, and then all these other channels that are just integrated and Unibot as well too. So mm. you essentially have like a full stack of crypto apps that can just be operated from telegram itself so they potentially mm. are like the dark horse i mean they're already out there right but we just you maybe it's so ubiquitous in our use of of telegram on a day-to-day basis that we just don't see that like telegram is the future it is like when we it is the next like behind bitcoin and ethereum like it's then telegram yeah i mean look it, it's been the future right so we we've seen we all started out on, well, I don't know, I wouldn't say we all, but we started out on Bitcoin talk, right? Mm-hmm. Then we migrated to Slack. Slack had massive security issues that were going on at the time to be able to handle the influx of users. Uh, it was more of an enterprise application, if anything. Um, so it just was not a, uh, it was not a great place for, for these different communities to live. Um, after Slack, we finally had Telegram in, in 2017, if I recall, it uh, had to be around that time, probably summer. Uh, that it first came out and like i remember there was probably only three or four groups uh that were like anywhere relevant to icos and i just went in there i started talking as much as possible i started meeting all these new people i started getting invited to private groups then the deal flow started 
you know, most of that stuff was operating over on Skype uh, or, or other applications that were quite centralized and didn't have that great of sharing capabilities. Telegram had the ability for me to take a message and forward it to any other private group, any other DM that I could afford it to, which is, which is a massive breakthrough after telegram. And I don't really want to say after, but yeah. you know, following telegram success, discord started to become more popular in the crypto community, specifically with NFTs. Uh, people just needed a, a lot more segregation in terms of these different parts of the server. Uh, but discord really, really sucks in terms of managing all your groups. Um, they even have their own folder system, but it's just very, it's not great. very clunky. Yeah, it's not great. So the user experience suffered. Uh, the integration on it was higher friction for different applications than than Telegram was. Um, so that solution didn't come to fruition. WeChat suffered from the same thing that WhatsApp. Actually, not as much as WhatsApp, but WeChat suffered from the same thing. Uh, it not only was it owned by China and it was you know somewhat segregated to that region of the world. Uh, but forwarding and 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 application stuff just wasn't really uh, prevalent. So there's there's just no competitor. Uh, and on top of that, we have to, um, you know, we we basically have to look at these. Um, we have to look at these different applications as an adoption of encryption, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at an adoption from from end-to-end encryption services, that's what we're really seeing: Signal, WhatsApp. Uh, Telegram, etc. So that's why Telegram's TAM is much larger than the people who are just using it for crypto. And in fact, most of the people who use Telegram deal drugs, <laughs> right? That that's how I found out about it. You know, I, people, my friends of mine were like, "Yeah, I'm I'm selling weed. I just talk on Telegram now." Like, okay, cool, bro. You know, so so people start talking at, at the youth level and and through different age demographics and they're like oh yeah i'm using this stuff for this this and this there's other people who are like hey i'm only getting news from the front in ukraine you know yeah. through this uh i i found out about covid four months before the drop in march of 2020 through telegram yeah. guy fr- friends of mine people who are in these chats were like hey i'm selling masks to hospitals around the country i was like for what <laughs> like <laughs> like we're not that's not even a thing you know so it's it, it was it was insane but you know, you, you have messaging at your fingertips, encrypted, private. You're able to forward things. The GIF game is is no, it's not better anywhere else, right? When you're when you do an animated messages and stuff like that. So like, Telegram just crushes in every capacity. And when they dropped folders, it was the end game because it was like, cool. Now I can just scroll through the top, left to right. It, it tells me what's up. The notifications are better now. They sucked for a while. I had to up, I had to update my phone. Now I'm getting notifications again. So that's been fixed. Um, I can pin as many things as I want. It used to be like five, 10 or whatever. Now I can pin like hundreds, hundreds of things. So yeah, I, I can, or, I, I run a whole business out of Telegram. Yeah. Uh, Telegram's so important. Excuse me. Telegram's so important to me that my key contacts, I spend once every month, once every few months, flushing them into, into repositories so that if my Telegram ever gets lost, I can go back because the value of my network and Telegram is, is, is valueless. It, it's, it would be, you know, I've already lost my Telegram before. I, I got hacked back in, uh, I think it was like 2018. Uh, I had a 15,000 person Telegram channel oh, wow. uh, back in 2018. And I ended up getting hacked. Uh, the guy, for some reason, <clears throat> autistic autistic dog claimed that it was him. But the person, for whatever reason, uh, gave me like moderation power back to the chat. So I waited until he was asleep. I studied his time zone uh, 
you know, activity. I waited till he was asleep and I just deleted as many people as I could. There was like a 500 person flood limit every 30 seconds, but I deleted almost everyone out of the chat. Back then, we couldn't go to like Not a Scam and all these other Telegram moderators and be like, hey, my shit got fucked up. Like, can you do anything about this? Right. Like, so it, it was, it was dark days. Um, the only thing I don't like about Telegram is that they don't use Google to, too often. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use a password auth with an email and and phone recovery. I think that's really poor security practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think once they get some sort of Google two auth or, or better, uh, you know, better opsec uh, practices, then I think that Telegram will, you just won't be able to beat it. Yeah, you know? and especially with all the the stuff that they've. I mean, they really have been shipping a lot recently. Uh, they have like stores for channels, which just came out. They have all sorts of like gated subscriptions for channel or like if you have a private group you can have like different levels of subscription uh you can tip people with money now that they have their wallet Uh, so there's all these like in features inside of telegram that you just can't find anywhere else it's just impossible it's becoming this like like it is a financial super app i'm pretty sure it's like what elon wants to build with twitter uh but just is constrained by by what twitter is at the moment yeah yeah, I think that, um, I mean, Twitter is obviously a different beast, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think that Telegram, from a crypto perspective, is is very, very bullish. Um, definitely a blue chip that I would want to have in my portfolio to have net exposure to markets. But, you know, anyone who's building in Telegram who's an innovator is, is probably a good bet as well. You know, Unibot was around for some time. They had, uh, same with Bananabot. I think Bananabot has like over a year's worth of data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to use Telegram during the meme season to essentially do contract or like wallet following, which would then alert me of different things that they were aping into. And, you know, we were running some like minor strategies around around that front. So, you know, it's, it's just very useful. Um, we coded that bot on Discord and Telegram as well. Like it was just night and day, uh, even at the mempool level, uh, you know, the, the being able to push things through Telegram's API gave us, um, you know, efficient uh, execution and advantage uh, over our competitors that Discord just lagged on. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's it's definitely something that's 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 going to continue to be an innovative product. But it really speaks to the the larger um, it really speaks to the larger issue in the space, which is you know we have to go after larger target addressable markets if you're looking to scale your product. Uh, there's only a hundred thousand on-chain active users yeah. right now da- daily. Uh, if you're a product who's targeting that 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 target addressable market, you're you're looking to get three to six percent market share. You and and the thousands of other application or protocols that are that are targeting that market. So, you know, if it, the the spaces to your previous question, the spaces that are going to grow are the ones that are addressing uh, larger market share. If you're a financial product you don't really care about larger market share. You're going after a curated market share Mm -hmm. that already exists because trying to get financial people outside of this market into our space, it's just not going to happen. But if you look at things like gaming, if you look at things like social applications, like telegram, et cetera, these are larger market shares that can get pulled into our space. Uh, And, and, and that friction is, is, is much lower because there's not a regulatory, there's not a regulatory, um, you know, veil. Uh, separating us right right and if you look at, i i'm actually surprised i i didn't know that Toncoin is actually the 11th by market cap it's, a, it's almost about to flip solana it's a it's about a uh two percent move away from well, not even that i mean it's i think it 
I think it did. Someone said my audio is cutting, so I just fixed the mic to be a little bit more closer. Hopefully that fixed the Arbitrum archives. Just yeah. let me know in the chat. Um, I think it did. Let me bring up CoinGecko. Well, I'm just looking right now. I mean, it's sitting at 11th at the moment. Solana is kind of yeah. So it it was at it was at 10. Um, it was at 10 the other day. So let me look at market capitalization. See when that happened. Oh, that was back in, it definitely uh, just like a week ago. 19 September, it peaked at at 8.8 .8 billion dollars for Tonkoi. Yeah, last week. Yeah. Yeah, it hit, yeah, I see it here. And it just 8. makes sense. 7, I mean, so. they have 800 million users baked into their system. And if you're talking about like adoption and who's going to use it and potential for growth in the future, I mean, you, you already have a market base. You already have product market fit. Everybody already uses your app. There's You don't really have to like build that like a Solana does where, you know, they're starting mm -hmm. from the ground up. And even though they have uh, like two years of, of growth already, you know, it's not, it's not 800 million users, right? And like one of the most I'm, widely I'm, used uh, crypto apps. Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm going to continue talking to you. I'm just checking on my kid real quick. Oh, it's okay. She's down for a nap. Um, yeah, the, you know, how many, do you know how many users are on Solana? <laughs> uh, not not 800 million, maybe 100,000 or a million or something like that, if at most, I mean, for daily active users. But even then, I mean, that, that kind of signals that like Toncoin could essentially take the third spot behind Ethereum in the future, right? Because they, they have that user base and it just speaks to the, the power of these like social networks uh, to 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 generate value. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think social applications are are very big. It's actually ironic how we started the. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's very ironic that we started the the conversation around friends tech. Yeah, because that's you know we we started seeing a big. Uh, we started seeing a big capital deployment trend in social fi mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of this year. Oh, you cut out. Lost your, uh, lost your audio. Yeah. Yeah. Now Sorry back, about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started, uh, we started seeing a big trend in social fi towards the beginning of this year. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You have to, you know, you have to ask yourself, what spaces have a ton of users in them already mm -hmm. in terms of a TAM and where do they have low regulatory risk that the use case would make sense on chain, mm -hmm. right? So things like friend.tech, uh, telegram, uh, et cetera. These are, these are large, uh, either user or like user centric market markets or existing, uh, within our market that can expand and they have pretty much no regulatory risk. And there's a there's a way of creating an incentive driven uh, revenue scheme to... outside of the token. Yeah, yeah. no, in, in, inside, oh, inside the token. I thought I thought you were saying that like if you look at something like Telegram, Telegram like the the you don't have to dump the token or provide farming incentives to get people to use Telegram. It's just already there. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing with potentially with FrinTech as well. No, I'm saying yeah, I'm saying yeah, I'm saying the incentive like there's an incentive mechanism for the token to be va to have value, mm -hmm. right? So like. Like token token value has two um, has two components to them. Uh, one's not related to the token. One is so. Uh, the first one is obviously that you, that you have a business that can scale, that can adopt users and create revenue. Mm -hmm. Right. That's just a that's just a company generally. The token component is how you redistribute the incentive mechanism of the, of the network. Right. So you have things like Chainlink and Ethereum, where basically people stake their tokens. The cost infrastructure gets offloaded. 
uh, there's essentially like a, an incentive slashing mechanism. And then you have governance tokens where the incentive is redistributed to protect from a governance attack. And it usually has voting mechanisms at the protocol le uh, layer for different like levers and, and fees and stuff like that. Uh, and then at the same time, there, there may be a treasury and there may even be a revenue redistribution through, you know, some sort of quasi redirect like curve or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, I think the, the guys from Jones now basically told me that Camelot's new model of how they're going to be handling things, uh, they believe subvert that regulatory scrutiny. But, you know, again, these, these models are yet to be seen. It'll take a long time for them to get tested, uh, tested in court. But, you know, at the end of, at the end of the day, uh, you need to have like incentive being driven. Otherwise, you're just a security token. So, if you don't fall into like one of those three, or, or maybe some outliers that have to do with uh, in, incentive uh, ownership uh, around either TVL or or network uh, volume, right? Uh, then you're essentially just getting fees, and you're just it's it's predicated on the revenue, and you're you're probably a security as a non-regulatory professional. So I wonder, I wonder if the other social companies like Facebook and Twitter are, are like intently watching what Telegram is doing and how they're being treated by Google and Apple, because what Telegram really needs to, to essentially get pat to make it to 100 million market cap or 500 billion or however large they're going to grow is for the uh, device providers, Apple, Google, to essentially uh, liberalize and, and open up their uh, their infrastructure so that it's it's friendlier to like crypto payments and and crypto products as well too and that's that's what i see is like the big constraint same thing for frentech as well too i mean frentech has to use that that weird way of setting a, a was a pwa progressive web app inside of your phone that that gets around the apple store uh, so i do think there are like roadblocks not from the regulatory sense but more from the like infra like how are we going to distribute through the Apple Store or Google Store, right? Who who want their thirty percent cut? Um, do Do you know what the what the ton token even does? I haven't actually. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 trying to get a feel on it right now because I ChatGPT now has the the browsing function, which is pretty cool. Um, the plugins just weren't working, yeah. but yeah, it says I don't know nominator pools contribution to the network security. So. I'm guessing they're using some sort of chain link model where there's basically staking and slashing, which mm -hmm. would make a ton of sense. That's that's the only utility that even works. Um, buy and trade swaps on de on decentralized exchanges, cross chain transfers. That's that's not really utility. Yeah, so it sounds like they're building a network that's distributed uh, for these nominator pools. Let me just explore options. Yeah, so TUN is a proof-of-stake network. It means that security and stability is maintained by the validators. So it's POS, uh, some form of slashing. They're probably going to have... They're probably going to start building apps they do already on have top it, yeah. of it. Yes, yeah, so they can, already have... You can get an anonymous eSIM. Uh, you can get you know, an yeah. address. You can buy Telegram Premium with it. Uh, they have nice. VPN services. Yeah. Makes it makes a ton of sense, right? Like like I say, unless you're doing a chain linker or Ethereum model, mm -hmm. you have to be a governance token, and your product has to be building TVL or Treasury, um, or your security token. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's probably a good place to wrap up on. I and mean, we went through social, through went through everything, and ended up back on social here at the end. And uh, you know, I'm gonna have to social five number one. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I think I'm gonna have to go look at, at Telegram more now that it's kind of I, I didn't even know. I mean, it's like quietly ascended to being like quiet. In, yeah, it's very quiet, 10, right? Like excluding stable coins, like in the top ten, which is pretty remarkable. 
Uh, yeah, I think I'm just looking back from the all-time high. It had a low of two billion mm-hmm. market cap. It's now at uh, eight point eight billion market cap. Obviously, what we'll to see if it pulls back? Uh, hard to hard to do a pullback when you're having the the bot revolution going on. Yeah. But like, you know, truth truthfully, it still feels undervalued. Um, yeah, exactly. You know. But hopefully we can get a recession or something so I can buy a ton <laughs> on, on on the cheap. Uh, and and that's that's actually like a big point. It's like, you know, people talk all the time. Yeah, you should you should have a good short chunk of your portfolio into blue chips, right? But I, I don't think that that really captures the meta, right? Right. When when you're going through, let let's just arbitrarily say that blue chips are like the top thirty. Cosmos is thirty right now. Mm-hmm. I would consider Cosmos, even Lido's thirty-three. Maybe you say the top fifty at this point. Well, right? you, like, Anything? I think if you exclude stable coins, uh... if you exclude, yeah, if you exclude stable coins, then then it would come up, right? So when I start going through here, like I see BNB at number four. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of risk there. Uh, I, I don't think there's much adoption happening on the chain. I don't think they, that they can compete with with future band, uh, brands and airdrops. I think that. Uh, Binance has always been very dismissive of its BSC uh, product, and I think that there's a lot of regulatory risk sur- surrounding Binance. Um, I think th- I think if 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 everything goes as normal and you believe that Binance will never be touched or something like that, then then I think BNB is is fine. But I think as a top five coin, there's just a lot of risk there. Um, I just don't ever see things like XRP or or mm-hmm. what's the other one, uh, Stellar Lumens. I just I I've never been a fan of those. You know, buy them buy them like one month before the top, like you'll probably crush, right? Well, I, I would look um, at, I would look at this in a different way, like without, without like referencing Ton versus like other crypto networks mm-hmm. here. Like if you look at something like Meta, which is currently trading at over $750 billion market cap and mm. as, as like a fully mature social network with like tons of different verticals, right? And, and tentacles everywhere. I mean, that's really where Telegram could get to at, at a, you know, a half decade or a decade from now, like Telegram really looking at like a, a over $500 billion valuation, especially for the Toncoin if they if they try to uh, transmit as much value through Toncoin as possible. So I think that would be, so yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking right now, it says, it says as of 2023, Telegram has approximately 1.068 billion users with 700 million monthly active users uh and around 196 million daily active users that's that's a very insane um that's a very insane like retention Mm -hmm. from your total users to active users now if you ask how many users does facebook have this is as of q2 in 2023 the answer is 3 billion monthly active users so what that what that essentially means is that if you divide 700, uh, 700 million by 3.03 uh, billion, right, then it means that Telegram has 23.3% the daily active users with just one product. Remember, uh, I think, I, I don't know if that's including Instagram and WhatsApp, but just with one mm-hmm. product. So if, if they're comparable, then to your point, it's like, what is, you know, what is uh, Facebook's market capitalization that you said? 700, was the number? 780 billion. 780 billion yeah. so you know that's essentially 23 percent of 780 billion is 181 uh is it 181 billion yeah it's 181 
billion. That's that's so, that's within that's within a, like oh two percent of Ethereum's total market cap right now. <laughs> yeah, and that that mean that means that it's undervalued by about twenty three x. Yeah, if that was, you know, through through inference, obviously give it a grain of salt. Yeah. But that's that's a blue chip I want to be a part of. You know, do I want to be a part of Solana? Fuck no. Do I want to be a part of Tron? Fuck no. Do I want to be a, a part of Cardano? Look, I love um, Hodgkin's, uh, Hodgkin's uh, you know, I love his energy, but I don't want to be over there either. You know, do I want to be part of Polkadot? Fuck no. Do I want to be part of Polygon? I'll, I'll refrain from commenting. Do I, you know, do I want to be part of Chainlink? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's what you have to start doing when you're coming through the, the top 50. You need to start looking at these things and saying, yeah, you know what? I align myself with, uh, with that product, mm-hmm. right? from from the ethos and, and narratives that i'm building and that and that's really what i mean when i say that like a lot of people go oh i want blue chips right uh i want meta right i want i want game theory that's what i thrive off yeah. of um now it would be interesting to see what my game theory how that would perform versus a generalized index i think there's a lot of data on the indexing side already um but i think from a game theory perspective like i haven't been far off i think on a lot of like existing blue chips and and where they would stand um you know i'm i'm bullish on cosmos i think that that can be a massive ecosystem i think it's massively undervalued uh, i think it's the only alternative l1 to ethereum that really makes any sense um or at least in the blue chip categories like everything else is either some quasi l2 or tapping into metamask ecosystem like for the longest time Cardano, Solana, and Cosmos were the only L1s that didn't have to use MetaMask. Yeah, you know, and Cardano's so, like uh, relatively yeah. irrelevant, <laughs> and Cosmos has built it built itself as this like friendly, this like friendly, uh, I don't know, I don't even friendly network to ETH, right? Like Celestia is coming out and it's going to be fully supportive of data availability for ETH. So, you know, like mm. Cosmos, I don't like. Some of these other networks position themselves as like competitors to ETH, and I, that's probably the wrong way to go. Cosmos was always like, "Oh, hey, like we're not we're not trying to be ETH. We don't want to be them. We're just building stuff that can exist in in tandem with it." Uh, and that's a very um, that's a very Apple way of going going about things. So back in the Apple Microsoft uh, ramp up, uh, whenever they would have like a road show or, mm-hmm. or or an event, right? Microsoft would get on stage and say. This is why we're different to Apple. This is this is different to Apple. This isn't Apple. This is this. But when Apple would go on stage, they were like, "This is why we're doing this. This is what we're doing, etc." And I think it's been proven that that they basically won mm-hmm. that arms race, right? So it, it's a it's a very good strategy. Like the more you talk about your opponent, the more you push your. Um, it's probably a, uh, probably a, uh, one of the rules in one of Robert Greene's book, I'm sure. Um, but you know, the the point is, is like the more you talk about them, the more credit you're giving to them it's like almost like free marketing yeah uh, for them it's like you can't you can't keep my name out of your mouth right uh, and i think the same thing happens i think the same thing happens with friends right a friend comes to you always doing this complaining about his significant other or or the, or someone else and you're just like shut up dude i, I'm, I don't want to hear about this right uh it, it, it's the same thing so yeah i think i think but the thing is also like cosmos is one of the only competitors to ethereum Mm-hmm. You know, like Par- Paradigm pushed a leading product from Ethereum to Cosmos. There's other things that are happening on Cosmos that are that are being built. Um, are you taking advantage of the Celestia airdrop? I hadn't looked yet. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was a scam or not because I know a lot of people were like, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure if it's a scam, whatever. The same thing happened with friends.tech. Like, I tried to install friends.tech. I found out that I couldn't use it on Android. Then they pushed out the, the web version. There was a bunch of weird stuff that was happening. It hasn't been until recently that there's been a big volume spike that mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. There's still five months to go. I, I want to get in the game, have some exposure to this thing that I think will be the next killer app. Ideally, get an airdrop from Coinbase on top of it. You know, this, this is this is the way. This is the way. Well, it's probably a good place. We're we're an hour and a half in, and I'm sure we could go for another hour or two. Uh, but uh, I want to go research Telegram now. Honestly, like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Tom I think Tom is overexposed. I think you just need to get as much exposure to everything else. Yeah, that's ton related. That, that yeah, you're right. Unibot, uh, and pretty much you're, you're right. I'm gonna have to go take a look at that. I wonder if they have Flu a Fluid is uh we, we invested into Fluid. Fluid's gonna be fire, I think. If if they deliver. I wonder if they have. Is there a Telegram? Oh yeah, CoinGecko has a Telegram app uh, thing. It's 150 million dollar market capitalization. Yeah. Most of it is Unibot Banana Gun. And Coin Coin Gecko has a, a list of projects that are uh, accused to be a security. <laughs> really? I don't know if you. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that. It's uh, it's pretty much like half of the oh, top one hundred. The alleged SEC securities. Yeah. Alleged. Yeah, alleged SEC securities. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the Coin Gecko team. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on. This is great. I I, I this is really enlightening. Honestly. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love to be here. Thank you for inviting. Yeah, me. Yeah, you're welcome back. Come anytime. And uh, thank you everybody for tuning in at home, Garrett. We had a drop off as well too, and uh, we will see everybody back tomorrow.